Um, so first of all, takbir, Allahu Akbar. Um, that was an amazing, amazing khutbah, Nur Jahan. Um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably and really walking us through that process that I'm sure we can only imagine, but it, it was just incredibly inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing and for teaching us from your experiences in this powerful way. Can I respond to that? Yeah. <laughs> no, you may not speak. <laughs> I thought maybe my speaking time was over. I don't want to take as much. Um, I just want to say that I, when I was little, I never imagined that there would be an opportunity for a woman to be able to speak mm. in a religious space like this and be able to, um, A, be in a leadership position, mm. but just to be in this space. And when, I, when you first started this, I, my mom and I came and it was so, it was so transformational for me. And this place is actually where I first, like I, I met Tasneem who taught me about surrendering, who has guided me through so much. So it's just so beautiful to be able to come full circle. And you asked me to do a khutbah last December. You were asking me about it and I kept- I remember this. <laughs> I kept putting it off because actually there was something inside of me that felt undeserving. Mm. And I feel like it's so fitting that I could, I could speak about mm. kind of standing in my power while standing in my power. Yeah. So I thank Amazing. you for following your dream Amazing. and creating this for everyone. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Oh. <laughs> um, so do we have any Brave first takers for the mic. First of all, can someone from the school introduce yourselves? And all right, we'd love to hear where you guys are coming from. Hi, my name is Christina Ortega, and I am a religious studies teacher at Flint Ridge Sacred Heart Academy, which is a Catholic all-girls high school in La Cañada. And these are my students and a colleague, and they have, are all either in or have taken a world religions course. And this is... Um, God is using me <laughs> to um, open up the world to my students. So thank you so much for welcoming us. And thumbs up? Yeah? Okay, good. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right, anyone? Yes, okay, here we go. This is, this is sort of random just because I thought I would start things out, but um, I'm actually part of a Sufi order in New York City that's led by a woman. And so quite often our khutbahs are, are uh, given by women and the adhan is done by women. So I've been looking since I came to the West Coast for sort of a home um, and I just was so moved by this, uh, this event. So thank you. Thank you. Thank Hasna for creating this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hi, my name's Charlotte, and um, so I'm Jewish and I keep kosher. And I was wondering, because I'm conducting a research project on how the culinary scene in Israel and Palestine has evolved as political tensions rise, mm -hmm. and if having more Arab-Israeli fusion food can bring people together. So my question is if, um, let's say I was putting on a dinner and I wanted to have a peaceful discussion on the situation would it be acceptable for me to serve kosher meat to a Muslim? Yes. Kosher, so halal is not kosher. Kosher is halal. Like, kosher covers all the bases, if that makes any sense. Halal covers a lot of the bases. <laughs> but maybe not all. 
Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I think that's a, an amazing initiative and a really important conversation to be had. Uh, I have a question for you. Um, so after you came to this realization, um, you know, and this journey where you surrendered to God, um, what do you then do with those years that you spent not in that space? And how do you make peace with that feeling? I mean, because it you could go down the route of like, oh, I wasted all this time. I could have just surrendered, right? How do you deal yeah. with that then? Actually, when I first discovered that there was any other way of being, mm. when I first started realizing, it was like I saw the little hole outside of the world I had lived in. Um, I was really frustrated because I spent 10 years mm -hmm. just being really unhappy when I, I didn't need to be. Well, I, I felt like I didn't need to be. Um, and I had a lot of regrets, especially with my, my babies. I, I, was, I had a really, I was struggling a lot with mental health and with stress. And so I blamed a lot of my kids' health problems on my own kind of issues that were going on. That was really hard for me until I realized that that was my testimony. If I hadn't gone through all of that, I wouldn't be able to share that with so many other people. And there are right now, so there are over um, 80,000 people a year who are shot and survive mm -hmm. in this country alone. Over 20,000 who are shot and killed. Um, and many, many more who experience gun violence, who are there when it happens, who lost somebody to gun violence. And so if you think about that, if you look in your life, there are many people in your life who have experienced gun violence and are probably not talking about it and don't feel that they have permission to talk about it and are suffering in the way that I suffered for a really long time. So I'm able to speak to them when I share my testimony. When I talk about going through 10 years of sucking it up and smiling and pretending everything's okay, but really, really struggling and nobody else knew it. When I first started coming out, I think it was a really big surprise to even my family that I had been suffering so much. And so there's something beautiful with being able, with people being able to connect to that. If I had just gone to, okay, this happened, I'm just going to go into surrender. What a blessing that would be. I would have loved to have been able to do that. But I, I wouldn't have been able to sympathize with people who are, who are suffering right now and understand that you have, sometimes, and in my case, I don't believe it's all the time, but sometimes you have to wait till you get to a breaking point where facing those horrible feelings, it's so scary that you have to, I had to, I had to feel that scared and that horrified in order to be willing to turn toward that because everything else seemed easier until it wasn't and then I didn't have anywhere else to turn so I turned back. So um, I don't think everyone has to do that God willing, everybody won't have to do that, and that's part of sharing the story. Um, but sometimes we have to get to that point before we're willing to ask for the help that we need. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, Noor Jahan, you are truly living up to your name. Noor means light, yeah. and Jahan means precious life. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I was just so humbled and blown away by your khutbah. You are so inspirational. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know your mother, mm -hmm. 
And I have been here several times in the Women's Mosque of America, but not regularly. And what a privilege to have been here um, when you delivered your khutbah. Um, my name is Rukaya Khan, and I, some of you may know I actually had um, a master's program in Islamic studies in Claremont. And so it's like doubly, triply a privilege to hear a woman deliver such a meaningful and kind of uh, persuasive khutbah. And it's really, it was, a, it was of appeal to everybody. And you know, for the moment in which we live in our society, in our world, it couldn't be more relevant. What I wanted to ask you was, one thing I wondered is you, when you were sharing with us how you went from a kind of, you know, a, just like a total destruction of yourself and faith to then, richly feeling faith was it did you was it was there an in-between time when you took Absolutely. two steps forward and then like no 10 steps backward yeah. because in the khutbah it felt like I think you weren't um I think that that's the joy of storytelling right you can yeah tell us more about that in-between yeah. stage yeah. those two sentences were two years Wow. So I, and, and actually, if, if you follow any of the work that I do and the videos that I make and things like that, you'll see that I actually am a strong believer in showing your vulnerability and your pain because a lot of times we hear these inspirational success stories and we get so excited and everything sounds so easy, easy and also unachievable. And so everyone thinks, wow, that person's so amazing. I wish I could, but I, but I can't because I'm, I'm not there. I can't do that. Um, so I share a lot about the pain that I was experiencing in every, every moment that I could um, when I started actually getting out there and doing videos. Um, but no, that process, it's still happening, A. B, it, that was one, that was the first big moment I had when my baby was in the hospital I mean, I could tell you more about what happened in that moment. Most of it, it was a call for help. I just didn't know what to do. And actually, a white crane flew in front of my car and I, in Rancho Cucamonga. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? I've never seen a crane before. I don't even know if it was real. Mm. I don't know if I was looking for a sign and I saw it. But I went home and I looked it up and I found that cranes represented life and especially the birth of a child and represented prosperity and all these things. So I, I said, well, that's just my sign that I was looking for. I just need to believe. And that was one step. Ask my husband. I was not a fun person during that time because he had such complete, beautiful faith and I hated him for it. I thought that he just didn't understand that babies die. But what he told me later was that he kept saying everything was going to be okay, not because he knew the baby was going to survive, but because he knew we would be okay no matter what. So that was the very beginning. And then it was a much longer process of then every little thing that I faced, learning how to surrender and learning how to do it right away, not months, days, years after. And still today, I, I hear about something and it, it gets me, like the, the shooting at the synagogue, it hurt me at my oh. core. Because, um, ah, you know, religious persecution is something that I experienced when I was younger, and then just the idea of it happening still today in a shooting. And I immediately, I cried at first, and then I sucked it up and went through the rest of the day. And then that night, I just, sometimes I, 
I pray, and if I don't get everything I need to get out of that prayer, I lay out like this, and I just tell God, just carry me. And I wait, and I let myself feel everything I need to feel with an open body, knowing that I have to feel all of it until I get to the other side, and I felt so much peace after that to the point where I could support other people. And sometimes I can do that, and other times I wait days before I'll, I'm willing to surrender. But it's a, Islam is a constant, it's a constant act of surrender, and I could revert back at any moment if I decided not to. So, yeah, that was definitely a, a nice storytelling way, way of compressing it. Um, my name is Andrea. I'm uh, Tasneem and I are new ground um, Muslim Jewish Partnership for Change. And um, I'm so grateful to be here today. <sighs> I'm 53 on Tuesday. I like getting older. Mm -hmm. um, and I've lived with tremendous privilege in my life, so much privilege. And I've never had to be worried about physical violence. Well, as raped. You know, that happened. Um, but in terms of th this, we've been doing anti-Semitism every year, 14, 15, five years of teaching anti-Semitism. And when I first started, it felt like history to me. Mm -hmm. And um, every year there's been greater proximity. And... Um, I got involved in Muslim Jewish work because I was, I was so curious about the relationship between our two traditions. Yeah. And I was also really worried about Muslims in America. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to know more. I wanted to be in proximity. Um, and I'm feeling afraid physically in ways I never have before because I've been studying what's going on with white nationalists and it's actually about guns. Yeah. It's about a lot of firepower. Um, so I want to be able to look that in the face yeah. and move through it and hold it, hold the space for people um, that I need to hold it for. So I just, I want to thank you so much for your vulnerability, which will give me the strength to hold space for other people. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your extremely important and hard work. I know how hard it is to face the thing that scares you the most every day and it is not it's not easy at all but without it we won't see the change that we need it was so cool to learn from you so yay for teaching me um you made one distinction that i would love for you to expand on more um it was that um it's not that god doesn't burden us with more than we can bear but then it was a different line, like, oh, yeah, and now I forgot the line. So can you say it yeah. <laughs> and expand more on what the distinction is between that? Yeah. yeah, in my mind, I had a limit that I could get to. I knew that I could deal with this, 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 or that, but I could never deal with this. And the this that I felt I could never deal with was my baby, like being able to hold my baby and then having him gone. Um, and... I learned in that moment where I was facing something that felt worse than the, the things that God and I had agreed upon. You know what I mean? Like we had decided that this is my limit 
and everyone kept saying, God never gives you more than you can bear. And I thought that was like a, a safety. Like, okay, good, because I can't bear that, and God already knows that, so we're good. Um, and that's not what it was. And I learned that from two places. One was I felt that he had given me more than I could bear. And when I turned to him, I realized, oh my goodness, I can, I can, I can, I can deal with this. I think in that moment I had a hint of it. I didn't have, I didn't have it all the way. And actually, it wasn't until I met Rhonda Foster, who's right over here, um, right here. And um, I met her actually right after that. I met her a couple of months. Actually, my baby might have still been in the hospital when I met you. Um, and Rhonda was at an event, and she was sharing the story of her. It still makes you, it's still. Um, she was sharing the story of um, she had taken her son to the park um, to get his soccer trophy, her seven-year-old son. And she had her 10-month-old in the car, too. And um, there was a shooting. And um, they killed her seven-year-old son. Um, and her 10-month-old was injured in his eye. And I heard her stand up and share this story. And I... I could not, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around how she could survive that. And yet here she was, not just surviving it, but standing up there and doing the work that she does every day is directly related to that experience. And seeing her strength, seeing her faith, seeing her power, that's what I, I alluded to it a little bit in the chutbah, that I surround myself now with people who have experienced the worst things that you could possibly imagine. Like I, I for me, I can't, I can't. That is something that was the worst thing I could possibly imagine. And Rhonda showed me that you can survive it and find hope again and find joy again and have a beautiful family and be a beautiful human being even after the worst thing in the world. And I work, I work with survivors of telling Rhonda about this other survivor that I work with who's quadriplegic. He, ble he breathes from a, a tube in his throat. Um, he was shot 21 years ago. And for the past 18 years, he's been going to schools and churches. And he was shot five times um, and talking about gang violence. Um, and he's just the most inspiring, amazing person. People, he said people ask him all the time if he, would, if he could, if he would ever want to walk again. And he said, I see people walking around all day and they don't look very happy, so <laughs> I'm good. But when you meet people who have experienced something so, you know, anything that you can imagine, any horror that you could possibly imagine, there is somebody who survived it and found joy afterwards. And when you can be in the presence of those people, you realize, what do they have? They have faith. They have faith that there is hope and joy after this, that they can make an impact on the world, that their life has purpose. And that is, that's what brought me to the fact that you can survive anything as long as you have that faith. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, okay, so um, I'm going to pick Jessica to close us uh, with a little dua from the heart something we're trying, a new thing we're trying. Yeah. So um, if you could just 
In English, give us the dua from the heart and we'll close with that. Bismillah rahman rahim Thank you, God, for all that you've given us, all these experiences. Thank you for the beautiful presence and words of Nur Jahan to help us to connect to our own experiences as well as all the experiences of others in the vastness of how good and how bad those things can be and help us to give ourselves to you as she said, to be used by you to help each other and to bring light and love into this world and peace and that that is the true reality.